The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you all for listening uh, today, for joining us. We have a very special program and a very special guest. Our topic today is Recovering a Spirituality of Wholeness, and my guest today is Bishop John Shelby Spong. He's a visionary thinker, and he articulates a spirituality of wholeness. One that engages life in ways that express integrity, love, and equality. And he has lots to share with us today about how that uh, understanding of relating to spirit's presence in that way that is profound and whole can broaden and deepen recovery. So uh, I'm excited to have him and really uh, thank him for being with us today and glad that he's here. And I'm uh, so glad to be broadcasting from Unity Online Radio on the topic of recovery. And we love hearing from you, our listeners. So uh, thanks for the emails, thanks for the posts on Facebook, and thanks for your comments because we know that we are touching your heart and that we're opening up your mind and helping you uh, think about some new ways to broaden your recovery. So every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and we always have guests who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable, and who are innovative. People who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for or teach uh, spiritual insights to recovering people. We're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. Spirit of Recovery is also a real welcoming place, and so we want you to know that recovery is certainly a large tent. There's lots of room, and if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of addiction, or if you're a family member in your own recovery as a family member, or you're a family member or friend of somebody with the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, and you're just looking for information, or if you're someone who simply wants to learn more about the process of recovery, you're just curious, we welcome you here. And we welcome your participation and your comments um, in our discussions. I'd like to make you aware also that this month of January 2011, in two of our Unity publications in the Daily Word and in Unity Magazine, each of them has an article this month about recovery. And so I'd invite you to, you can look on www.unity.org 
and find um, how to get copies of those publications and read those recovery articles. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister, and I'm also trained in addictions counseling. I'm a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And almost 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development in my relationships and my, uh, with those people that are in my circle of love and friendship. And so ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and it sure keeps transforming my life. So I am very grateful to be able to communicate with you there, our listeners, and also to have these conversations with our guests about the concepts of spirituality and recovery. On every show, we've got a drawing, and we have uh, give away a recovery book, and these books are donated to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation, and that's www.hazelden.org, and the book that we will be having a drawing and giving away today is called A New Day, A New Life, a guided journal. It has a DVD in it. Uh, the book is Blending Science and Spirituality, A New Model for Success and Recovery, and this is by William Cope Moyers. So uh, you can call in or you can send us an email, which we'll get during the show. Put your name in for the drawing to win this book today. Also, during the second and third segments of our show, we hope that you'll call in with a comment or a question for Bishop Spine. That number is 888 888- Five five eight six four eight nine. The email address is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, and we will get that during the show and respond. So, today we are talking about recovering a spirituality of wholeness. And as I said earlier, my guest is Bishop John Shelby Spong. His books have sold more than a million copies. He was the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Newark for 24 years before he retired in 2001. He's a visiting lecturer at universities and churches across the world, and he is certainly a friend of unity and has uh, spoken in many unity churches and is very popular there. He's made extensive media appearances on 60 Minutes, Good Morning America, Fox News Live, Larry King, The O'Reilly Factor, William Buckley's Firing Line, and so forth. He's got uh, many books. Uh, Some of his best-selling books include Rescuing the Bible from Fundamentalism, A New Christianity for a New World, Why Christianity Must Change or Die, and his autobiography, Here I Stand. His newest book is Eternal Life, A New Vision, Beyond Religion, Beyond Theism, Beyond Heaven and Hell. And he speaks in there uh, very specifically about uh, spirituality of wholeness. Bishop Spong also writes the weekly e-column, A New Christianity for a New World. And he and his wife, Christine Mary Spong, have five children and six grandchildren, and they live in New Jersey. And so I'm just very grateful to Bishop Spong for being with us today, and I know he's got so much to share with us. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm glad you're here. It's a pleasure, Anna. Good to be with you. Always good to be with Unity. Thank you, and we are always glad you're with us. And I enjoyed hearing you in the fall in Oregon, so uh, thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, to recover means to get something back that's been previously lost and reclaim what's useful. To find the essence of who we are and connect that with the life around us. And certainly everything I hear you say, Bishop Spong, about spirituality has to do with that. Absolutely. 
Well, I think that's true. Unfortunately, I think Christianity as a as a religious system uh, got off base somewhere about the fourth century and began to to express itself in terms of the negativity of human life. God is rescuing us from sin instead of the potential of human life. I think part of what we're doing today is to try to recover that original uh, kind of Christianity. Uh, It's expressed for me best in John's Gospel when Jesus is quoted as saying that his purpose is that we might have life and have it abundantly. He doesn't say a thing about rescuing fallen sinners, but uh, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And I think that that's what the Christian gospel is all about. It's a call to a new kind of humanity, a call to a new uh, a new way of living. And when you get into new humanity, you begin to cut across all the religious barriers that have separated human beings forever and ever. Because the one thing all people have in common is their humanity. And if everything we do is designed to enhance our humanity, to make us more deeply and fully human then we find that uh, the bonds of relationships uh, become thicker and faster and and uh, our need to build ourselves up by tearing somebody else down or somebody else's religion down uh, sort of goes by the wayside. So I think we're working in exactly the, the proper direction. And I see this happening all over the Christian faith in all parts of Christianity and in all parts of of uh, even the non-Christian world, this quest for you, for humanity is deep in the in the psyche of every human being. Right. Uh, when you're talking about this, it, it strikes me as a, a parallel, really, with the the 12-step recovery process in the introduction to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, or maybe it's not in the introduction somewhere. In the beginning of that book, it speaks of, in recovery, uh, we are people that would normally not mix because we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But because we have to find our common humanity in order to survive, we come together in these groups uh, to share our spirituality, to share our struggles with life, and to try to come into some wholeness. Well, I think that's right. And AA uh, is sort of an ancillary religious movement that has been since Bill W. got it started. And I'm the child of an of an alcoholic father, and I know a lot about what it means. But I'd like to even go beyond that. Recovery assumes that you've fallen or that you've um, gone astray. Uh, and, and, and it's in that sense, it's an attempt to overcome some tragedy that's happened. Uh, and again, I think that that's the way we've told the Christian story. We said that God created human life and that human life disobeyed God. Human life fell into sin. We called it original sin. Uh, we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Only Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. Everybody else has lived east of Eden, to borrow John Steinbeck's phrase. And the task of religion has been to go out to the fallen and rescue them and bring them back. I don't mean to minimize the fact that human life is filled with pain. And people don't become alcoholics because it's fun. People become alcoholics because they're covering up an awful lot of pain and uh, a a deep sense of of no self-worth. I'm only concerned that religion sometimes gives people that sense of no self-worth and drives them to try to find some sort of panacea. If you look at the liturgies of Christian churches, they're filled with pleas for God to have mercy, 
They're filled with self-incriminating statements, like I've done that which I should not have done. I have not done that which I ought to have done. There is no health in me. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I am not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under the table of God. There's a pretty heavy negative message. I sometimes wonder how people have the courage to come and take absorb that message every week and, and stand up and walk out. One of the great things about unity, and one of the reasons I think unity is is a sign of the future, is that unity doesn't wallow in sin. Unity accepts people's human potential and tries to help them maximize it. And uh, I think that's the direction we ought to be going. That's one of the reasons that I am drawn so deeply to the unity message. Right, because it's that focus on our innate uh, wholeness, our innate goodness, and how to expand that. And if you're going to recover it, it's to recover your wholeness. Uh, there's, There's no question that a lot of life violates people's wholeness. Uh, you know, my mother was a, a very uh, rigid Calvinist Presbyterian. I don't mean to say there's anything wrong with being a rigid Calvinist Presbyterian. She was a wonderful person, and I loved her dearly. But her understanding of life is that we were born evil, and it was her duty to help straighten out this evil that was in the world. And I don't believe that's the proper way to raise children. I think the proper way to raise children is to is to look at the, what happens when they're loved. They bloom. And look at what happens to them when you tell them they're wretched, miserable sinners. Then they've got to go find somebody else to victimize. Uh, I worry that if you look at the history of the Christian movement, you'll find that we victimize somebody almost all the time. We victimize the Jews, and then we victimize the Muslims, and then we victimize the heretics, and then we victimize people of color, and then we victimize women. And today we're busy victimizing gay and lesbian people. I I think when you find a history of victimization, you have to go back and say, where does the sickness in this religious tradition that causes them to pour victimization out upon their chosen object? It's usually the object of the century, the object of the decade. And I think when you look deeply at the story as we have translated it, it spends an awful lot of time telling us what wretched, miserable sinners we are and that message becomes so intolerable, we've got to find somebody who's worse off than we are. And so we, we find somebody upon whom we can, can uh, pour our negativity. If you get rid of the negativity, then you don't have to pour it on somebody else. You don't have to build yourself up by tearing somebody else down. And the message I think I want to try to communicate through my faith tradition is that, that everyone is the fully loved child of God and all you've got to do is begin to appropriate that to yourself. And that's a very different message from the one I grew up in in the Christian church. Right. You know, one thing that strikes me as you're talking is the, is a, a, a reframe uh, of the recovery, addiction recovery process uh, in, in terms of an expansion of wholeness rather than necessarily a redemption from sin, which is, you know... Sometimes how it gets framed, uh, even in the recovery community, yeah. and cer- certainly you are uh, a, a, a thorough and, and Bible scholar. And so I'm going to ask you uh, a question: If you could reframe a story for us, this, one of the stories, not 
not in the formal uh, 12-step literature, but one story that, uh, Bible story that really speaks to people in recovery a lot and that you'll hear sort of informally is the story of the prodigal son because people see it certainly as a redemption story. How would you reframe that um, as a story of wholeness? Well, remember, the, the first thing that you need to remember about that story is the prodigal son's only one of the two major characters. There's the righteous son, and then there's the prodigal son. And the righteous son stays home and does everything that is required of him and performs all his duties and gets very upset that the father loves the prodigal and the prodigal comes back. And the prodigal, on the other hand, is the one who violates the parent-child relationship with willful disobedience, talking back, wanting what is going to become his share of the of the inheritance before his father dies and then wastes it and then finally comes to his senses that's a wonderful phrase that they use in that story and returns home recognizing that he's so deeply violated the role of sonship that all he can really offer his father is his willingness to be a slave in his father's household and then he finds himself overwhelmingly welcomed and the fatted calf is killed, and the robe is put on him, and a ring is put on his finger, and the great party is held. And this brings out the resentment of the righteous brother. We ought to concentrate on the whole picture if we're going to tell that story, because the righteous brother may be just as full of no life as the prodigal. At least the prodigal comes to a new awareness. Now, if you if if you're Jewish and understand the Hebrew scriptures which underlie the Christian story time after time after time. There's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy that says if a child is willfully disobedient and talks back to his parents and refuses to obey, the parent is to take this child to the elders of the city and they are to stone him until dead in the gates of the city. That's not a story people ever preach on because the idea that that disobedient children who talk back to their parents should be put to death is not a very happy one because it would take care of almost every one of us. Uh, you know, if the Bible was going to be applied literally, very few of us would ever grow up to be adults. But I think that what Luke is doing in that parable only occurs in Luke's Gospel, and Luke's Gospel is the late ninth and maybe early tenth decade. And I think what he's doing is telling a different way to look at at that uh, that story about how you treat children. He's trying to bring it to a new dimension. He's trying to recognize that everybody fails to live up to the ideal. But what helps them? Does it help them to to sort of keep them at home and tell them what nice, dutiful children they are? Or does it help them to say it through word and action that you are always my child, you are always welcome, this is always your home, there's nothing you can do and nothing you can be that will finally separate you from the love of God. And that's the power that enables us to become something more than what we have been. That's Redemption is not recovery, it's becoming something you've never yet been able to be. And I think that's a very powerful story from that perspective. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop Spang. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, which is a brief moment to focus on a constructive thought. And then Bishop Spang and I will continue talking about recovering a spirituality of wholeness. We'll be right back. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio.
It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listener support to broadcast the messages of unity to an awakening world. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. thousand and eighty eight hours that's how long most of us will spend at work this year you'll spend about the same amount of time sleeping so when does that leave time for the stuff that really matters like your spiritual practice the good news is your spirituality doesn't have to be separate from your job it can and should be woven into everything you do especially in the workplace new from unity books good business putting spiritual principles into practice at work Charlotte Shelton, co-host of the Unity Online radio show, Good Business, brings you insights from some of her top guests. Learn from 20 good business leaders, including Brian Tracy, Rianne Eisler, Peter Block, Daryl Connor, and Margaret Wheatley. They'll show you how to bring spiritual principles into alignment with best business practices to create thriving, sustainable organizations and fulfilling lives for the people who work in them. Make the most of your 2,088 hours. Tune in to Good Business Mondays at 4 p.m. Central and purchase the new book, Good Business, online today at www.unitybooks.org. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They are Unity Classics. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Each month, you'll be able to follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine a different classic Unity book. From Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to Eric Butterworth, Emily Cady, and beyond, experience the foundational teachings of Unity. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Thursdays on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. 
Welcome back to the Spirit of Recovery. I'm really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Recovering a Spirituality of Wholeness. And my guest is Bishop John Shelby Spong. And he is a visionary thinker who articulates a spirituality of wholeness, talks about how much God loves us and that uh, how we can engage life in ways that express integrity, love, and equality. And he opens doors to powerful new ways of understanding and relating to Spirit's presence in our lives and that really help, helps folks in recovery to deepen and broaden that sense of being whole people and knowing that definitely they are indeed connected with God and with all of life. So right now we'll take a moment for the Serenity Minute and I invite you to join me on focusing on this constructive idea. Just relax, allow your mind to rest, to be open and refreshed. And the idea for today is I'm whole Within me is life. Within me is love. I am whole. Within me is life. Within me is love. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. We're back with my guest, Bishop John Shelby Spong, talking about recovering a spirituality of wholeness. And this is a great time now to give us a call, and that number is 888-558-6489. Or you can email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, and we'll get that. So you can uh, call or email us, and we'll put your name in for the drawing uh, for the book by William Moyers, which is a great DVD uh, combining uh, spirituality and, and science in a recovery uh, perspective. And... Uh, so we'll put you in for the drawing, or you can ask Bishop Spong a, a question or make a comment. We'd love to hear from you, so call us or email us. Before our break, we were having a great conversation about God's love and about that story that is dear to recovering people's hearts, and that's the prodigal son story. You were telling us, uh, Bishop Spong, about how that story is really about God's love and about how we're always in that love. The topic of shame is a huge one for people that have the disease of addiction, for family members that are part of that whole system of addiction and are affected by it so much. Uh, The disease has stigma. Um, There are lots of problems, obviously, that come along with addiction. And so sometimes people feel ashamed of themselves. Sometimes they're scared to go back to a spiritual community or they're just reluctant to to participate in life because they're so ashamed what can you your perspective on spirituality is really very opposite than that what could you say to us about shame and how people might get past that well shame is self-judgment that's uh and self-judgment is one of the ways we try to get out from under the judgment of others and i don't believe that's the approach to cure uh, when a baby is born and you bring the baby into your home, you don't spend a lot of time telling the baby how wretched, miserable, sinful, fallen, deprived, depraved the baby is. That's what we do in religion. Uh, I don't know anybody's ever been helped by being told how bad they are. I just don't. I can't imagine that approach. I can't imagine that as a therapist. I can't imagine that as a theologian. And yet, so much of what goes on in organized religion is a guilt message and. And we're being told over and over again that we're unworthy. And that's what shame is. Now, alcohol is a particularly uh, big problem in some parts of our world and in many families. 
and it does have severe ramifications. You know, when, when I was a kid and my father was drinking, it affected every member of the family. It affected us economically, it affected us psychologically, it affected us sociologically. My mother was a kind of fundamentalist Christian who thought alcohol was evil, and so she felt more shame, I think, than my father did, because she was married to a person who was doing what she regarded as this evil thing. There was nothing about that that's therapeutic. I don't think you break through shame by telling people uh, something negative. You know, you start with the sense of who they are. The whole Christian idea of a fall from sin into sin needs to be rethought. Uh, evolution put an end to that. We used to think that God created us perfect, and then we fell into sin, and so it's our fault. We now know from evolutionary history that we've been evolving into our humanity for billions of years, so there never was a time we were perfect. There never was a fall from perfection. Original sin has got to go. There doesn't need to be a rescue if there hasn't been a fall, and you can't ever be restored to what you've never been. So the whole task of the Christian church is to change that that uh, primary paradigm we are emerging human beings. We need to be empowered to emerge more fully. Uh, we are not fallen human beings who need to be rescued. And, and I think we've got to turn that whole story around. And in the process, shame becomes one of the things that, that religion gives to people. It's not something that religion takes away from people. And we ought to look at the results of, of some of the stuff that we do and say, and uh, and and recognize it. The Bible is quite clear that you're known by it's by the fruit that the tree is is judged as a good tree or a bad tree. If it produces good fruit, we ought to begin to look at our message and see whether we're producing good fruit with this message of guilt and negativity and fall and sin and rescue uh, and atonement. I think those things have got to be rethought in a rather dramatic way. And I think that's probably why the Christian Church resists Darwin so much is not that he upset the seven-day creation story, is that he really does challenge the basic way we've told the Christian story for almost all of our 2,000 years of history. Powerful. You, in your newest book, Eternal Life, A New Vision, Beyond Religion, Beyond Theism, Beyond Heaven and Hell, you do detail, uh, I think, uh, perhaps more than in your other books, although certainly you, you have been talking about this for a long time in, in many forms, that what you're saying there, that, uh, that life is about wholeness. So what, how would you frame that, and, and how would that speak to people that have the disease of addiction and are, are trying to find that wholeness? Well, I don't think you can ever find it alone. I think you have to be part of a community, and that's why I think there'll always be something like the church because you have to walk in a community with people. And if we get the church to begin to give the message of hope and wholeness instead of the message of guilt and judgment so that you've got to repent of your sins before you're welcomed into the church, I think you ought to be welcomed no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. I think that's the Jesus message. Go back and look at the story of Jesus' life. Uh, he's betrayed, and he loves the betrayer. He's denied, and he loves the denier. He's persecuted, and he loves his persecutors. He's forsaken, and he loves those who forsook him. He's put to death, and he loves his killers. 
I don't know how better you can have a paradigm for saying there's nothing you can do and nothing you can be that will separate you from the love of God. So what we've got to do is get people to accept the fact that they're loved, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. There's nothing you can do and nothing you can be that places you outside the boundaries of the love of God. So turning around is is accepting the fact that you're loved, no matter how unlovable you might think you are and then growing into that meaning. When I was a kid in my evangelical religion, we we worked with two words. We talked about justification and sanctification, and, and those were pretty awesome words. I now translate them. Justification means to accept yourself just as you are. And, and you can't do that alone. Somebody's got to give you the grace to be able to do that. And sanctification means becoming all that you are capable of being. It's not increasing in righteousness. I don't really like righteous people. I don't even like religious people. And that's sometimes an occupational hazard in my profession. But religious people always have simple answers to complex problems. They always want to tell you that their church is the only church, their faith is the only faith, and nobody can get to God except through their religion, that their pope is infallible or their Bible is inerrant or or whatever. All of those are human insecurity symbols. What it seems to me that the Christian church says is that you are loved just as you are and therefore empowered to become all that you can be. And when we understand that message and begin to proclaim it, I think we'll see a renaissance of, maybe we won't call it Christian, maybe Christianity has been so deeply identified with this negativity and guilt message that we won't ever be able to redeem the word But the purpose and the intention of the Christian story is to give people life. If you read St. John's Gospel, which increasingly is my favorite, in the beginning of that Gospel it says, In him was life, and his life was the light of human beings. And when you get to the end of the Gospel, he says, These things are written that you might have life in his name. That's where the emphasis has got to be. And I think we can turn this institution in that direction. I hope we can. I feel like unity is out front, and that's why I admire them, because I think that unity is articulating the message that the whole Christian church will have to come to if it's going to have a significant future. All right. Thank you. Great uh, explanation of that. We have a uh, an email question here which relates to just what you're saying. This is from Steve, and he has this comment, and, and I, I'll read this and ask you to comment on this, Bishop Spang, uh, and it's related to community and, and organization. He says, from an organizational standpoint, without designated leadership, no membership, no schedule of fees, etc., there is no reason that recovery, 12-step recovery groups such as AA, NA, HCA, Al-Anon, so forth, should survive, let alone thrive, yet they do. Um, They're based on attraction rather than promotion. Nonetheless... The recovery, in fact, one of the traditions, well, never mind. Anyway, none, nonetheless, the recovery movement has become very successful. Could you comment from a spiritual standpoint how you think this works? How do they do this? Well, I think they meet a very basic human need, uh, and people know that they're going to be welcome. See, what AA does is accept you just as you are. You know, they try to give you the courage to say, my name is Jack and I'm an alcoholic. They need. They get you to try to face your own reality, but they do it not by shaming you. They do it by telling you you have infinite value. That, to me, is what we've got to, you know, AA came out of a lot of connections with the Christian church. 
and and I think it's uh, borrowed some of the better things that the Christian Church has lost. And we might go back to recovery groups like AA and the Twelve Step Program, and begin to recover something of what the Christian faith was supposed to be all along. Uh, but but I think that's its power. I have you know I've had a when I was the Bishop of Newark, we had AA groups in almost every church. I knew people that went to AA every day of their lives. I know that the power of the community. That's why I don't think you can do it alone. The power of the community uh, was so was so good. It kept people in sobriety. And they had a friend they could call. They had a mentor they could call if they were feeling uh, really tempted to have a drink. It's been it's an incredibly powerful organization, and it meets a very basic need, and it's a lifeline for a lot of people. But it doesn't get to that message. It doesn't proclaim its message by shame or guilt or telling them how worthless they are. It's exactly the other way around. And I think we ought to learn that message and and recognize it and and co-opt it again. I think it's basically our message. Right. You, you know the power of community. When I heard you speak in Oregon this fall, and you were speaking about your book, uh, "The Eternal Life," a oh. new vision book, you at the end you made a, a statement that brought tears to my eyes. And I'm not going to quote you directly. I, I can't remember exactly, but you I talked about can't either. <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. I don't remember anything I say. But anyway, um, that. But you were speaking about the the concept of eternal life, and you were speaking, uh, you know, life beyond this earthly life. And really, you were talking about community, and you were talking about that uh, when you leave this earth experience, and and basically, if you're you don't know how it's going to work, but but somehow your family and your wife and your children, they're all going to be there, and that's going to make it well, make I can't it separate. worth it. Yeah, I yeah. can't separate myself from the people that I love. And take my wife, for example. She's she's absolutely an incredible human being. But but I love Christine so deeply that I would die for her. You know, if somebody were threatening our lives and only one of us could survive, I would gladly volunteer to be the one to go because I love her life more than I love my own. And that gives me a sense of what it means to be human. That relates me to something far beyond myself. And again, to go back to my religious tradition, that's what I think the Christ function is. The cross is not the place where Jesus died for our sins. I think that's a terrible idea. The cross is the place where we saw humanity that was so full and so free and so whole that he was not driven by his survival instincts. He could give his life away. Now, I could give my life away for my beloved Christine, but what I see in Jesus is a, a freedom to give his life away for the least of these, his brothers and sisters. Uh, and, you know, I think I, could, I think I could sacrifice my life for my children and for my wife. To get much beyond that, I don't believe there's anybody else I love more than I love myself. Mm-hmm. And I think if everybody's honest, that's, they would admit that. Uh, and as I tell my children, sometimes I'm not sure that I love my children. And it depends <laughs> on what day of the week it is and what's happened. But... But uh, I think that's a, that's the only human analogy I know to help us understand what I believe eternity is, to get so deeply outside yourself that you recognize you're upheld by something that you're a part of, but it's beyond you. Now, I don't know what heaven is going to look like. Uh, I say in that book title, Beyond Heaven and Hell, because I think both heaven and hell are so corrupt. They're basically behavior control models. Be a good boy. 
and you'll get the reward of heaven. Be a bad boy, and you'll get the punishment of hell. That's not designed to talk about life after death. That's to talk about controlling human behavior now. And I don't think that's our business. I think our business is to call people into the freedom to be so fully human that they can give themselves in love to other people in life-giving and not life-destructive ways. And to me, that's the foretaste of what eternal life is all about. What a beautiful description. It it brings to mind to me the concept of service that's so important in 12-step groups. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You've got to give it away. At some point, it's not about absorbing all this help that you need for yourself. It's about letting it flow through you and you become a helper. And AA, when it succeeds, does that. In fact, sometimes, sometimes the Savior... Uh, and the victim are two sides of the same person. The victim finally gets a new sense of of wholeness, and then they want to go out and pick ripe fruit. Uh, you know, they want to go out and make converts. And I think that's a temptation that's evil. I think that happens in religious circles all the time. You get you get a new sense of what the power of life is, and you want to go out and convert the world. And sometimes you're not exactly sensitive in how you do your conversion. Uh, but frequently the victim and the savior are two sides of the same personality. I think we have to be careful as we walk into that uh, understanding. Right. What would you say is the difference between being of service and trying to convert somebody? Well, I think trying to convert somebody, you're doing it for your good, not for theirs. I think you have to be very careful when you say conversion and missionary activity, and the Christian church has done a lot of that, and conversion activity really says, if you analyze it deeply enough, I'm okay, you're not okay, and you're not going to be okay until you get to be like me. I don't think that's loving. Serving is, I'm going to give you my life and my love just because you are, not because I want to make some, make you do something, but just because you are. And giving away service and giving away love, not stopping to count the cost, not expecting anything in return, a free gift, that's very different from trying to bring in the sheep. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, You're giving us such fabulous ideas. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Many people, like myself, desire more out of life. I want more out of my work, my daily interactions, and my relationships, including my connection with the divine. So when I found Unity House's new book by the Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard called Good Questions, a lot of things started making sense. Dear Tom, how can I believe in the integrity of God if I can't believe in my own integrity? From K.A. in Iowa. Dear K.A., God's goodness is independent of your highs and lows, but lighten up on yourself, my friend. Everybody has gloomy spells in their moral and spiritual life. Everyone makes mistakes. Self-doubt is endemic to the species Homo sapiens. People tend to doubt themselves and to be their own worst critics. All people fall short of their goals. In fact, that's one of the classic definitions of sin. But making mistakes, even really, really bad ones, does not define who you are. You are Imago Dei, the spiritual image and likeness of God. The divine spirit within is your true identity, now and forever. 
Dr. Tom's an expert in metaphysical Christianity who is sometimes passionate, sometimes funny, but always ready to tackle the agonizing questions about life and our spiritual path. His book, Good Questions, Answering Letters from the Edge of Doubt, is a must-read for those of us who listen to his show here on Unity FM or read his column in Unity Magazine. Get your copy today online at unity.org and click on the shop link. Wondering what's happening at Unity Village? Join Dean Ted Collins and guests each Monday at 2 p.m. Central Time as he hosts Village Events and Voices from Unity Village. Stay connected with Unity Village and get news on retreats, special events, newly published authors, and various ways you or your center can be part of the many exciting opportunities Unity Village has to offer. Tune in to catch live interviews of Unity speakers, authors, and newsmakers. It's Village Events and Voices with host Ted Collins, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to the Spirit of Recovery. We're uh, so glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Recovering a Spirituality of Wholeness. And my guest is Bishop John Shelby Spong, who is a visionary thinker, and he's sharing with us uh, just heart-opening and warming ideas about the spirituality of wholeness and about the concept of uh, how that can bless people who are in recovery from addiction, how it engages uh, people in recovery with life and knowing that God loves them and they are welcome in this world. So thank you so much, Bishop Spong, for all that you're sharing with us. Yes. Now, uh, you speak of yourself as a God-intoxicated human. What do you mean yeah. by that? Well, it's, you know, I, I can't tell you who God is or what God is, and I don't think anybody can do that. And although we do it, we build creeds, and then if you don't agree with our version of God, we burn you at the stake, which is a pretty strange thing to do. I don't believe that it's possible for a horse to explain to another horse what it means to be a human being because a horse can escape the boundaries of horsiness. I don't believe it's possible for a human being to explain what it's like to be God because we can't escape the boundaries of our humanity. And so all of our gods look like great big human beings. And 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 that's another form of idolatry. But I'm so convinced that God is real because... Because, not because I have some image of of an old man in the sky somewhere with a long beard or any of that. I just have this sense that life is calling me. There's something in life outside of me calling me to live. There's something that I call love that's beyond me calling me to love. There's something that my favorite theologian, a man named Paul Tillich, used to call the ground of all being that's beyond me, calling me in and giving me the courage to be all that I can be. And I call that God because that's the only word I know that's big enough to get into into the realm that I'm trying to describe. 
But I don't think that that means God is either a man or a woman or that God's got long hair or hands or whatever. All our artworks portray God. You know, you go to the Sistine Chapel and you see you see a, a great big man up there reaching his finger out to touch the finger of Adam. And I think we've got to be very careful that we get past that image. Uh, the second commandment says, you shall make no idols. Now, I don't think many of us are tempted to build golden calves today and bow down before them and say, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. But the religious tradition constantly makes idols out of its own words. It builds creeds, it builds doctrines, it builds dogmas. It says, this is who God is, this is what God has done, this is how you have to understand Jesus. And if you don't agree with those, or you can't understand those, or they don't make a lot of sense to you, then there's something wrong with you, is the message. God is so real to me that that uh, I don't know how to talk about I don't know how to talk about life without assuming that there's this transcendent dimension that I call life and love and being that calls me to live and to love and to be. And that's that's the the reason Jesus is so important to me. It's not because he had a virgin birth or did miracles. And I'm not sure I have any those any of those ideas have credibility. The virgin birth didn't come into the Christian tradition until the ninth decade. Miracles didn't enter the story of Jesus until the eighth decade. Paul doesn't seem to know that Jesus ever did a miracle. That's not what's impressive to me. What's impressive to me is that the memory people had of Jesus was that of a free person who loved no matter who you are or what you did and and who was capable of giving himself away to, to these people. You know, there's no judgment in him. There's the story in the Bible of the woman who is caught in the act of adultery and, and according to the law she is to be stoned and Jesus simply stands between her and her accusers. There's that story in the Gospels about the leper and the religion said lepers are unclean. If you touch a leper, you'll become unclean. Jesus embraces the rotting flesh of this leper. There's a, there's a tradition in the story in the Bible of a woman who has a chronic menstrual uh, discharge. And in the law, it says that menstruation is something that makes you unclean. And Jesus allows the touch of this woman, and he doesn't become unclean, but she becomes whole. There's a story in the in the gospel about people saying you've got to obey the Sabbath because human life was created to obey the Sabbath. And Jesus says you've got that all wrong, that the Sabbath was created to enhance human life. Every religious rule is created to enhance human life, not to dominate human life. And if any religious rule fails to enhance human life, it ought to be done away with. Uh, we've, we've sanctified our rules. We've made idols out of our rules. We've made idols out of our definitions of God. And then we've used these definitions to destroy human beings. When the 9-11 when the attack in 2001 came upon this country, there was a shock uh, throughout this country because this was somebody who, in the name of their version of the one true God, came to kill infidels who looked like you and me. And and we were sort of shocked that anybody could consider us infidels or consider a God that we don't know as the one true God. But if you go back to the Crusades in the 11th, 12th, and 13th century, you'll find that the Christian Church, organized by the Vatican, 
carried out these missions against the people of the Middle East in the name of the one true God, and they went over to the Middle East to kill infidels. It's the same thing. It's just that we were on the receiving end of it for one time. Now, I'm not in favor of anybody being on the receiving end of that. But I am trying to say that when when religion is used as a weapon against somebody else, you ought to expect, in the name of survival, that those people will strike back and try to destroy the people that are trying to destroy them. And that's where all the religious wars come from. And we need to get we need to get beyond that understanding. Right. It's a it just is an endless cycle that keeps It is, and you've got to break it at some point. You know. Right. You listen to the political discourse today, Republicans think Democrats are going to hell, Democrats think Republicans are going to hell. Muslims think and you get in the Muslim world the Shias and the Sunnis are fighting each other. You get in the Christian world the Catholics and the Protestants are fighting each other. There's something really wrong with that when we have ultimate commitments that it causes us to say anybody that doesn't agree with me must be evil. You know, I'm sure God can be Christians can be Democrats and Republicans, they can be Protestants and Catholics. I bet that a good Muslim can be both a Sunni and a Shia. I bet you can find some really good Muslims in both of those camps. But religion and politics both have a way of demonizing anybody that opposes them. And uh, there's there's something pretty sick about that. And, And if we don't correct that, I think we'll commit genocide. I think we'll finally kill each other, probably in the name of our God. Yeah, it can it can get pretty uh, pretty destructive, obviously. And when you were talking about Jesus and how he accepted people, the what that brought to mind to me is the concept of grace. So how can grace, you think, intervene in all this? Or well, I don't how? think it can. I think grace is an experience, and somebody's got to give it to you. Uh, you know, you and I weren't born loving. We were born, as somebody said, with loudspeakers on one end and no sense of responsibility on the other. Uh, and we were born with great needs. There's nothing quite so self-centered as a newborn baby. I mean, a baby's hungry, he lets you know it, or she lets you know it. And a baby's soiled, she, he or she will let you know it quickly. And they are the center of their world. And what we do is to love those babies into loving themselves and into maturity where finally they can begin to love somebody else. It's That's what we do in life. Now, why can't we understand that that's also what we need to do in religion? Where can we start? Well, I think, I, I don't know. I spend my time talking, and, and I'm hearing an echo now. I spend my time trying to start with the fact that we are all human beings. And human beings are all survival-oriented. That means human beings are all self-centered. You can't be survival-oriented without being self-centered. And... Once you once you understand that, then you know that somebody's got to give you a sense of your own worth so that you don't have to be self-rejecting and you don't have to survive at the expense of somebody else. You can allow them to survive too and you don't drive the world to the place where it's one-on-one and as I think it was Gandhi who said, if, if you follow an eye for an eye long enough, everybody is blind. Mm-hmm. You've got to cut the cycle at some point, and I think that's what we're called upon to do. And that's grace. Grace is the, is the experience of the love that is so deep and so powerful that you can accept yourself as you are and then have the grace to accept another person as they are. 
instead of saying, I'm better than you, and I'm going to build myself up by tearing you down until you become like me, then there's not much hope for you. And I just think we've got to get past that. Bishop Spine, thank you so much. You have uh, certainly opened up my heart, and I know you've touched uh, the hearts of the listeners uh, today, and thank you. It's been wonderful. You've given us lots always, to think about. Always a pleasure to be with you, and always a pleasure to be with somebody connected with unity. That's great, and we love you, and we are so glad that you are uh, connected with our unity movement, that you're a great friend of unity, and we sure appreciate you and bless you. As you, I know you're going to be traveling a lot in the upcoming year, and we bless you and, and just see you supported as you spread this message that you have about God's love. So thanks Thank again. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And blessings to all of our listeners out there. Join us next week when my guest is going to be Charles G. And he's going to be talking about the power of conscious contact. And he's uh, going to tell us about how he does that, how he stays in touch with God as he understands God. So be blessed this week. Know that you're in my prayers and let your heart sing and be filled with joy. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Are you searching for some levity and humor on your spiritual path? Then come join us for Unity Happy Hour with your hosts, Ogan and Jim. Each week, these ministerial students from Unity Institute and Seminary have spirited, humorous, and somewhat irreverent discussions about current events, family, culture, and really anything under the sun, set against a backdrop of spirituality and personal growth. So bring your authentic self and join us on Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Circe points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? 
Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach for weekly inspiration on ways to identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, where your purpose is your prosperity. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Someone once said that inspiration feeds the soul. Hi, I'm Jamie Sanders, host of Spirituality Today here on the Unity FM radio network. Each week, we bring you pure inspiration, empowerment, and insight. Join us as we talk with best-selling authors, celebrities, and some of the most dynamic teachers in new thought and motivation in the world today. Spirituality Today is Unity FM's spiritual book club and a whole lot more. Be sure to listen in and open up to the wonder and beauty of all that spirit is in and through you. Spirituality Today with Jamie Sanders, every Wednesday at noon Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.